begin with a question. I'm not sure if I want to know the answer or not, to be honest, but I'm going to ask it. Is anybody here <laughs> feeling totally ready for Christmas? And by that, I mean cards written, presents wrapped under the... Tr- Rob Kissick, get out. He's not. Anna's like, no, he's not. <laughs> by, from his point of view, he's ready. And Anna's like, no, there's a lot to do. Okay. Anyone else feeling entirely ready? I've really tried this year to be ahead of the curve. And yet, and yet. Do you know, I always underestimate how difficult it is to get a Christmas tree standing straight in its pot. It literally tests Matt and and I's kind of, you know, conflict resolution, communication skills to the max every year. And this year, the spiky bit in the holder was broken, probably from last year's tree straightening efforts. And (laughs) so the odds are against us this year. And the kids are kind of, you know, coming at you, ready to pounce on the Christmas tree and decorate it. And you're like, we haven't got it straight yet. Trying to remember, this is supposed to be a fun, beautiful family moment. And then you try and get the lights on. Don't get me started on lights on the tree. There we go. And then the kids pull their baubles on just one bit of the Christmas tree, which then it's mean leaning even more. Oh, yes. Anyway, there we go. And actually, that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. You'll be pleased to know. Um, what I would love to talk to you about this morning. Well, before we start this morning, I would love to tell you a little bit, an insight into the week I've had, if that's all right. Not too self-indulgent, I hope. Um, it's been a funny old week. For those of you that know me at all will know that I am a planner in life. I'm never happier when, when I've got a plan in place, where the fun is at, obviously. Um, and, um, and I take this approach to preach writing. For me, like, you know, when I know when there's a preach coming up, you know, I preach fairly regularly and I'm, I'm always trying to be ahead of the curve. I'm never... Um, want to be kind of writing it the day before. It's just not my, it's not how I roll. Um, I just, it's not, doesn't bring out the best to me. I'm not kind of a last minute.com kind of person. Um, and so kind of roll around this week. I had an idea of what I was going to be talking about this morning. Um, I knew what it was going to be. I'd done the, the kind of notes for it. I'd done some reading for it. I'd listened to some other talks on it. We'd talked about it. We have like a preaching group that meet together of us that regularly preach where we try and help um, kind of work together to form preachers and um, contribute to each other to the preaching across the whole church. So I'd met with them. And then I sat down on Monday this week. I was working from home to preach right. And um, I just couldn't do it. It wouldn't work. I couldn't get it together. It felt really, really elusive and frustrating. I just had one of those frustrating days. And I trudged up to the school gate. Um, and do you know what? I must have been moaning about it at the school gate because I saw a school mum on Friday and she said, how's that talk that you were trying to do on Monday? I said, I'm so sorry. Did I take you down with me on Monday? I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. Um, yeah, I was obviously particularly despondent. But anyway, and then, um, so Monday, I kind of got some progress with it, um, but not loads. And then, um, so I was like, oh, so I worked on it Tuesday night. Oh, didn't really get anywhere. Wednesday night, I was getting pretty fed up at that point. And then Thursday rolled around, and a Thursday night came up, and I was like, you know, I'm just really tired. I'm done. This thing is breaking me. What am I doing? Why do I do this job? All of those kind of blazes. I was on the negativity train, going fast. And... Um, yeah, just, uh, and I thought, you know, I'm just, I just need a night off. I'm just going to give myself a little brain space. I just prayed. I was like, Jesus, I need you to speak to me. What are you doing? What is this? What's going wrong here? Um, so Thursday night, I just wrote some Christmas cards, as you do, and then um, didn't think anything more of it. Um, and it's interesting, actually. Um, even this morning, I felt there's been such a fight over the talk I'm going to do this morning. Even this morning, um, so I, I wrote the talk, I'll tell you in a minute what it's about, but I, I wrote this talk, um, came to print it this morning at the gate. I'm not printed it at work because I've been working on it over the weekend. Um, and um, Matt went off to print it and he was like, love, the printer has never said this before. You've got to, we've got to send it back to the maker. It won't print your talk. I was like, oh. So then I'm calling my brother-in-law, can you bring an iPad? Can you bring something? I'm loading up on this thing. I don't really use an iPad normally for talks. And then it's crashing. And I was like, do you know what? And as I was worshipping, I was like, what I'm talking about today is the hope of Jesus. And as I was worshipping, I was like, 
I was declaring, Lord, I will not be silenced. Your word will not be silenced. So as I'm preaching this morning, I'd love it. There's that, uh, I can't remember what story it is in the Old Testament. Is it Joshua? Where um, he's praying and people having to pray so he can keep his arms up. People are supporting him. And I would love you this morning. I have gone on a fight and a half to do this talk. I would love you just to be kind of, you know, the intercessors in this room. Just be praying for me as I do this talk because I think everything is going against it and wants it to be silenced, but it will not be silenced. I woke up on Friday morning, the kind of the um, uh, morning after the night before, the morning after the general election results, and I turned on the radio to hear the news. Um, And as I did so, one word stood out time and time again. That word was hope, hope, you know, and and I suppose people were divided on that, obviously, aren't they? Either hope has been restored or hope has been lost, depending on how you see it. Um, And as I was listening to the radio, um, listening, uh, listening to it, I was just so aware that, you know, at the same time you've got politicians and leaders, they're pointing at different manifestos saying, this is hope. I thought, you know what, at this time of year, Christians all around the world, we're pointing to a baby in a manger and saying, no, that is hope. That is what hope is. And we're in a strange time, aren't we, of people feeling divided, angry, frustrated, confused, maybe unsure of who to trust. Maybe that's not everyone in the country right now, but that is a lot of people, I think, feeling that way. And do you know what? I just was broken as I heard that on Friday morning, and that's when I felt the peace of the Spirit on me. That's what I've got to talk about this morning. That's what I've got to talk about, and I feel like I've been fighting a battle ever since then. Don't we need Jesus in this nation? A move of his Spirit, the Prince of Peace. You know, it's worth saying that Jesus was born into a political context, wasn't he? You know, Jesus um, was at the mercy in his birth of the government of his day, the political machinery of the day. You know, Mary and Joseph, they, they, the reason they're in Bethlehem, isn't it, is because um, Caesar Augustus has decided he needs to see how big his empire is and how many taxes he should be collecting, so he gets them all to go. That's why they're there. And then the wise men come, and Herod has said to them, tell me where he is, because I want to worship him. But actually, Herod, a local leader, he's heard that this might be the Messiah, and he wants to kill him, because he doesn't want anyone to challenge his leadership. Um, Jesus was born into um, the political environment of his day. But he brought a kingdom that would surpass any realm of political power. His rule and reign will surpass any political realm of power. And as I was thinking about that and, and kind of writing, I do want to say, actually, like, I didn't start totally from scratch because um, the North site had had a talk kind of, I'd used some of the material at the Cardiff North heard last week and a one-off that Ian did up there. So I do want to say that if you listen back to Ian's talk in this one, it's not all, it's, I'm very grateful for Ian sending me his talk on Friday morning. I was like, please send me your talk. I need something. Um, so I want to dive back into the verses that Matt preached on a couple of weeks ago. Then we heard them at the carol service. They're in Isaiah 9, and it is a prophetic, um, a prophetic piece written um, pointing to Jesus' birth. Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel in the midst of a time of darkness for them. This is centuries before Jesus was born. And he's prophesying about how um, this nation, this great nation, was going to fall. He was warning them of the trouble, the anguish that was coming their way. It's bleak. And then he has this good news. He declares that the people walking in darkness will see a great light. The people walking in darkness will see a great light. And I want to imagine you're in pitch black. Have you ever, ever been in pitch black? I remember once going to this little kind of countryside town and walking to the, the local pub, and, um, and it was pitch black. I was like, gosh, it's very rare that I'm actually ever in pitch black. Imagine for a minute you're in pitch black. And then imagine, you're slightly, it's a bit disorientating, you don't know where you are, and then just imagine like a flare goes off of light, zhush, going up. And you're like, great, I'm walking towards that. I've got my bearings back. That is what is this little moment in Isaiah is like. There's a few of them that go off throughout Isaiah. It's this flare in the midst of darkness. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let's take a look at it together. I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. 
I said they will be familiar Christmas verses um, to you. It's going to come up on the screen. So it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal Imagine when you hear the word zeal, that's all kind of a funny word, and that sometimes isn't, has negative things, but actually it's just saying the great love, the determination, um, the focus of the Lord Mighty will accomplish this. So I'm just going to pray, Lord Jesus, I just pray as we, as we hear your word preached this morning, it would bring hope. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We declare you are Lord in this place this morning. Come have your way with us. Amen. I love the way in those kind of few verses, there's a little progression, isn't there? There's um, a child is born, a son is given, and then finally, most of it focus on, is on a king will reign. A son is born, a child is born, a son is given, a king will reign. A child is born. You know, this message, as I said, is like a flare going off in the darkness, um, all the way back, written back centuries before by Isaiah. It's a birth announcement, but done before the birth, which is unusual. And um, it's a moment of massive breakthrough for the kingdom. Um, I had spent all day Monday <laughs> trying to prepare for the other talk that I was going to be talking on. I'd been reading through Luke 1. And what had got me as I was reading through it, I actually got really emotional. It was the first time in a long time that I felt really, if I'm being honest, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say this, <laughs> but I was the first time in a long time I felt really deeply moved by the Christian story. Because I read it, I know it, you know, I preached on it, but as I was reading it, I was deeply moved again. Just a challenge for you, if you want to kind of engage this week with the Christmas story, just spend a bit of time this week in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and as you read it, be, have this question in the back of your mind is, what is the Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit, the power of God, um, what is he doing in this passage? What is God doing in this passage? Because if you read it with those eyes on, sometimes we have like a twee nativity scene in mind when we think of the Christmas story. But read Luke 1 this week, I challenge you, with, the, with and, and note everything that happens in there that is a breaking in of the kingdom, a breaking in of the Holy Spirit. You know, there is um, kind of this prophetic kind of, yeah, kind of uh, declarations going on. There's like intense worship going on as Mary worships um, God. There is miraculous children happening all over the place. It's magnificent. It is a story of kingdom breakthrough. And let's just start for a minute with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, this is an older lady, Elizabeth. She's not been able to have children, and now she's past the point of being able to have children. And um, her, her husband, Zechariah, he is a priest in the temple, and he finds himself, um, it's his, like on the, on a, there's a rotor in place, just like here, there's a rotor in place, and he, his turn on the rotor to be in the middle of the temple praying. And he, I no doubt, would be, in, would be praying, interceding, for the darkness for the nation of Israel that they found themselves in. So he's saying he's praying for the nation um, of Israel. And then an angel appears, kingdom breakthrough, point one. A ki- um, an angel appears and says, Zechariah, you, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. And this son is going to be John the Baptist. And he is going to have this incredible prophetic ministry that, is, that brings hope to you and Elizabeth, but also to the whole nation, that he was going to prepare the way um, for the Messiah. Um, for the very uh, baby that Isaiah um, has been talking about. So sure enough, Elizabeth, here she is, too old to have children, unable to have children, pregnant. And then another angel appears, this time to Mary. We'll all know this bit of the story, hopefully. Um, And um, she appears. Mary is Elizabeth's cousin. And Mary's there, and an angel, Angel Gabriel, appears to Mary um, and says, don't be afraid, you're going to have a baby too, Mary. 
Um, and this baby is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the promised Savior, the much-awaited Savior. And then Mary asks a very, very reasonable question, which all women would ask, wouldn't you? If you are a virgin, if you've got no plans to have sex with anyone in the near future, you'd be like, okay, I'm having a baby. How is that going to happen? What do I have to do? Oh. Um, and the angel assures her, you know, you're not going to have sex with anyone, but instead this is going to be a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Luke 1, verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. That should be on every Christmas card, for nothing is impossible with God. So then Mary does what I would do. She runs off and she tells her sister all about it. No, not quite her sister, actually. Her cousin, Elizabeth. And, um, and she runs off, finds Elizabeth and says, I've got to tell you what's going on. And there's this amazing moment um, in, Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 1 where uh, Mary enters the house, uh, enters Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth and the Holy Spirit falls on Elizabeth. Another moment of kingdom breakthrough. We've had angels. We've got babies that shouldn't be where there shouldn't be babies. And then the kingdom of God breaks in on Elizabeth. And she says this in Luke 1, 42 to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Now I say she says it, says it. She doesn't say it. If you look in the passage, she shouts it. She's in one of those embarrassed. If you ever, ever had an experience of the Holy Spirit, I've had it sometimes where I've just shouted because the power of God has been on me. And she is shouting, Elizabeth. As Mary comes in, it's loud, it's embarrassing. The Holy Spirit has fallen on Elizabeth. And then Elizabeth's got John the Baptist in her tummy. And John the Baptist, like the most amazing prophet ever, because John the Baptist senses that Jesus is in someone else's womb in that house and starts jumping around, freaking out, kind of saying to Elizabeth, like in the womb, kicking away. And Elizabeth, there's just this amazing, amazing Holy Spirit moment. The kingdom of God breaks in. The kingdom of God breaks in. And if that Isaiah passage is like a flare going off in the darkness, then Luke 1 is like a massive, mighty, roaring fire. The kingdom is here. The kingdom breaks in. And Elizabeth and Mary together in this beautiful moment in the spirit celebrate that this was the turning point of all human history. This was the turning point. And they got to play their part. A child is born. A son is given. This is what Matt spoke about when he spoke a few, uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, this story is a story of love. When you see a picture of a manger over, these Christmas, over this Christmas season, just think that is a picture of God's love. A child is born, a son is given. It's a story of God so loving the world, you and me, that he gave his only son for us. What a gift. What a gift. Jesus changes everything. God gave us his only son. And that son died on a cross for us. That is the Christian message. In the words of C.S. Lewis, the son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. A child is born and a son is given. And then finally, a king will reign. A king who would introduce a new rule, a new reign, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Just read those verses out again at the end of Isaiah 9, 6. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. A king will reign. Jesus came as a baby to rule as a king. He came as a baby to rule as a king. You know, it says in there, doesn't it, of the greatness and of his government, of, of, his, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. The government will be on his shoulders, on his shoulders, on no one else's. He is above all things. Everything rests on him. The whole course of human history rests on Jesus. What a week to hear that message. 
we need to hear this message this week. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that politics can be um, a, a force for positive change. And in that sense, um, it can be a source of hope. And I think it is important that we engage politically, that we vote, that we pray for our political leaders, that we are, whilst we might challenge, whilst we might disagree with different um, political points of view, um, I think it's important that we're careful about how we speak about them and the way in which we use our words to speak, even though it's okay to challenge. And I'm not trying to talk this morning from the point of view of my personal political convictions. Um, I realise in this room there's going to be a whole heap of different views across the um, political spectrum. That is the joy of the church. It brings all people together. Um, but I do think that we're in a times and nation where people are questioning our political systems. The degree to which we can actually build our hope on them. And I think people are asking the question, if you can't build your hope on them, what can you build your hope on? And I've just been looking like this just this morning on like my, some social media stuff. And people, I know like friends of mine who don't know Jesus, who are feeling that way. And they're saying, well, we've just got to love. We've got to love more. I'm like, yes, but you just need to know the source of love before you start that. So people out there are grasping for these concepts of we just need to be more loving, more compassionate and care for each other. And in that sense, they're grasping towards the source of all love, all hope, all joy. We have the answer. We have the answer. You know, for me, my, my mum, she was very, very political. That was her thing. I remember when I became, when I came to faith as a teenager, um, kind of challenging her as you do as a teenager about things. And she was like, do you know what, Alice, you have your religion. She called it religion. I'd call it faith. But you have your religion. I've got my politics. Politics is my religion. And that was, that was what she put her hope on, her everything on. And then later on in life, when she became poorly, she's passed away, um, she actually rediscovered the faith she'd had as a child. Because the reality is, is that a lot can be achieved through political power. Of course it can. But political power doesn't change the kind of gnawing at our souls that there's more than this. It doesn't solve the problems of humanity, ultimately. It doesn't solve the problem of the human condition, that we need to know that we are loved and valued. And we need to know our ultimate value. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. People are desperate to know this. The government will be on his shoulders. And if you think about it, government, what is government? You know, it's about leading people into the future. It's about taking responsibility. It's about having authority. It's about bringing change through power. But this kingdom that was breaking in in Luke 1, in the Christmas story, it was being ushered in by a king that would rule in a totally different way, with a totally, um, with, in, in, a way, in a totally different way from any other leader any other political power. This baby was going to be an entirely different kind of king and leader. He rules with a different kind of government. A different kind of king. You know, in a time where people feel disillusioned by political leadership, they don't know who they can trust, this is a king that we can trust. If you don't know Jesus this morning, this is a king that you can trust. You can trust him. Isaiah tells us, doesn't he, in, the, in the Isaiah 9, 6, he tells us why we can trust him. What is this king going to be like? He's going to be, it says, a wonderful counselor. You know, in the time, um, in Isaiah's time, people were looking for a leader that could come and lead, a wise leader. They'd had bad king after bad king, and they were looking for a, a, a wise leader that could lead them into a better future. And when Jesus came, he started preaching, didn't he? And people could not believe the wisdom of Jesus when he preached. They were like, who is this? This guy from Nazareth. He's not up from Nazareth. Um, from Galilee. Who is this guy? Who is this guy preaching around Galilee? Who is he? How is it that he makes sense of my own life in this way? Who is this man? Jesus knows everything. 
Even our greatest wisdom that human beings are capable of, the Bible tells us is foolishness compared to him. It's nothing compared to the wisdom of Jesus. If you want to know how to live your life well, what it looks like to live a life that affects change, that means something, what does it to look like the person that you were made to be, created to be? The answer is in Jesus, our wonderful counsellor. Wonderful counsellor, a mighty God, a mighty God who would lay aside his power and die on a cross for us. Jesus is the mighty one who saves. He has power and authority over all things. We see that in the way that his ministry, the way that demons flee, the way that he rose people from the dead, the way that he healed every sickness. He has authority. What's really important to know is that with his power, with the kingdom power, he also has love, kindness, and goodness. His power is not overbearing. It is not corrupt. He is a mighty king who is at his core good. He's good. You know, as Mrs. Beaver says about Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as she's talking about Aslan's power, she says this, safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is good. Almighty God, an everlasting father. All that a good father is, Jesus is to his people. An everlasting father, you might think he's talking about like the Trinity here, like God the Father, but he's not. In fact, these verses are more just the general sense of what a father should be to his children. And what Isaiah is saying here is that Um, this father was going to be the protector and provider for his people. And you might be here this morning and your own father has let you down that he has not been your protector. He has not been your provider. That is the story across our nation, isn't it? A fatherless generation of fathers who have not protected and not provided for their children. I know that's my story. In my life, my father has let me down countless, countless times. But, But Jesus will never let us down. He is our protector. He is our provider. He will never let you down if you put your trust in him. And finally, the passage tells us he is a prince of peace. Prince of peace. John 14, 27, Jesus says this, peace I leave, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He offers us peace. In the midst of the challenges of life, he brings peace. A peace that is beyond our understanding. And Isaiah gives Jesus the name Prince of Peace because he alone is able to mend every broken relationship. He alone is able to restore us in relationship to our Heavenly Father. He alone can heal a nation divided. He alone. He alone offers assurance of eternal life. He is the Prince of Peace. If you are living in a state of anxiety, stress, worry, depression this morning, I pray you will know He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Don't settle for where you're at. Reach out, grab more of Him this morning. He is the Prince of Peace. He's a very, very different King and He leads with a very, very different kind of kingdom as you would imagine, a kingdom where the, fir- the last are first and the first are last, where the poor and broken are lifted up, carried on his shoulders, a kingdom underpinned by justice and righteousness, a kingdom where the sick are healed and the dead are raised, a kingdom that never fades, an empire of grace that is expanding forever. It's an entirely different kind of kingdom. And this is true What I'm talking about this morning, it's true. You can build your life on this. You can build your hope on this. Don't put your hope on anything but him. It would be a massive mistake. Don't put your hope on anything but him. If you're hearing this for the first time this morning, just know this is true. Don't put your hope on anything but Jesus. Everything else will let you down. But all of us need reminding, whether we're hearing this for the first time or the millionth time, let's not put our hope on anything but Jesus. What should our response be to such a king as this? 
What should our response be? Surely it is to give him everything. Hold nothing back. Let's not hold anything back. Don't settle for anything less than the king and his kingdom. In your marriage, in your decisions, the way you live your life, the choices you make, your family, your finances, in the way that you spend your time. Invest your time in him. Draw close to him. I felt like this, you know, as I was kind of writing this, I felt like some of us have said yes to this king and this kingdom, but we don't spend any time with him. We don't know him that well. It's like this kind of truth, but it's kind of a bit removed. We don't actually spend any time with him at the moment. It's not a personal thing. And I was reminded as I was thinking about that, again in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, where Aslan, it's the night before he's about to be murdered. It's like the Garden of Gethsemane moment, if you know it. And he's, um, he's full of sorrow because he knows he's about to be killed. And then uh, Lucy and Susan, they find him in the, in the garden. And this is what Aslan, Jesus, um, as it's an allegory, um, he tells them. He says this, lay your hands on my mane so that I can feel you are there and let us walk like that. And so the girls did what they would never have dared to do without his permission, but what they had longed to do ever since they first saw him buried, uh, ever since they first saw him, they buried their cold hands in the beautiful sea of fur and stroked it and in doing so walked with him. That is the kind of closeness you can have with this king. That is what's on offer. If you know this king, don't, um, don't be distant from him. Come close to him. That is what is on offer. Spend time with him. Build your life on him. Put your hope in no one but him. I think I'll finish there. I'd love you just to stand. I'm just going to read out that um, last bit of the... Um, Isaiah 9, I think it's 9 verse 7. I just want to finish by reading this over us and then praying, if that's all right. This is true. What I'm about to read is true. Of the greatness of his government, of Jesus' government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus will reign on David's throne, on a king's throne, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.